This is from the work of uh, Father James Allison, who's one of my favorite uh, people writing about Jesus and writing about faith. And it is a reading of a story from the Gospel of Luke, where shortly after the death of Jesus, two of Jesus' disciples are walking from Jerusalem, where Jesus was killed, to a neighboring town called Emmaus. And they encounter a stranger on the road that we learn later in the story is actually the risen Jesus, but the men don't realize that at the time. So perhaps you're familiar with this story. I'm going to read it for us. It is from Luke chapter 24, so you can follow along with me. Now on that same day, that is the day that Jesus, uh, that is the day that, that uh, uh, a number of women found Jesus's tomb empty. On that same day that the tomb was found empty, two of Jesus's disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Hmm. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered the stranger. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He, the stranger asked them, what things? They, repl they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, the stranger interpreted to the two men the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near to the village to which they were going, the stranger walked ahead as if he was going on, but they urged him to strongly to stay. Stay with us because it, it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them, and then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. I love that instance. It's just so ridiculous. And he vanished from their sight. It's just done. They said to each other, the two men, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. Remember, a seven-mile walk. The very same hour, they get up and they return to Jerusalem. 
And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and he appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened to them on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Okay, so that is Luke chapter 24, a somewhat famous story. If you've been in a church setting before, the road to Emmaus, where these two men walk seven miles and don't even realize that they're walking with Jesus. And this is uh, it's this kind of this fun story. So uh, I want to bring us to a reflection from, again, uh, somebody who has really helped me understand a lot about God, uh, this, uh, this fellow who writes uh, a great deal uh, called Father James Allison. And he brings us to the question uh, that we see in, uh, or that we heard in that story, which was uh, the question that the two men ask to the stranger on the road. They say, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what happened here? And uh, what Father Allison points out is that the best American English phrase, like if we can take that, the word that was uh, stranger in Jerusalem, and if we can take that from its context and kind of put it into American English, the best phrase for that is resident alien. Are you the only resident alien who hasn't heard what happened here. Now, we don't usually use that phrase in common parlance, right, when we talk. We might use phrases like immigrant. We might use phrase like somebody who doesn't live here. We might, we might use other phrases, but resident alien is really what's getting at what these, uh, what these two men were asking the stranger that they meet. And this is important. What that means is that the first thing that these two on the road notice about this person that they encounter that they've never met before, the first thing they notice about him, foreigner, outsider. I wonder what else they might have been thinking, like, doesn't know what's going on here, right? You know, like, they adopt the attitude of like, oh, okay, we'll have to explain this carefully and talk slowly. I wonder what, what it was that they could just see immediately or hear immediately that made them use that phrase, that made them think, this person's a resident alien in Jerusalem. They're not from around here. Was it the way that the stranger looked? Was it the way that the stranger talked, the dialect, the accent? It's just something to think about that Father Allison gets us to look at. So another thing, later on in the story, Father Allison points to another observation that they say in their, uh, these two men say in their explanation of why they're sad, some of the women of our company had said that Jesus's tomb was empty. So we went to go see for ourselves. From a 21st century perspective, I wonder if we can see the code behind this not so thinly veiled. We better get the boys together to check this out. Women, of course, are not fully reliable, right? Secondary witnesses. Yeah, yeah, let, let's get the guys together and go see. And notice how the two disciples, when they talk about this, they're explaining why they're sad. It says that they, they stood there still looking sad. They are leaving Jerusalem. So even when they saw that the tomb was indeed empty, the boys went and checked it out, and, and it was confirmed what the women said, they still did not believe what the women had reported. Because these women had reported they'd had like this kind of this spiritual experience. An angel came to them confirming that actually the reason the tomb is empty is because God is alive, because Jesus is not stuck in the tomb, but Jesus has come, and they interacted with the risen Jesus, and they tell the men this, but the men don't believe it because they did not see it. And so these men, these two who are leaving Jerusalem, walking seven miles to the next town, Emmaus, well, it seems that their interpretation of what's going on is, 
if maybe Jesus's body was moved and, and there's trouble, like maybe, maybe we're next. Maybe they're out for us too. We better get out of here. The unconsidered power of their position and I think the anxiety driving their interpretation of events so absorbs them that they're unable to try on for size what the women say. One last note from Father Allison, some more context to help us understand. It says that the stranger, Jesus, uh, takes these two men through Moses and all the prophets and the scriptures. Um, and what Father Allison suggests is we should not imagine the way that looked was like, well, Jesus like pulled out a Bible and opened it up and he was like, guys, take a look. I'm going to reinterpret all these pages for you. Because for one thing, there was no Bible as we understand it at the time. Did you know that? In the time of Jesus, there was no Bible as we understand it at the time. There was an, an unfixed collection of texts that were important to the Jewish people, many of which we know today in the Bible, but it was not canonized. There was no like you know, bookstore that you went to and you could get different translations of the Bible. That doesn't a thing. And so we should not imagine that when it says Jesus or the stranger opened up the scriptures, opened up Moses and the prophets to these, uh, to these, to these two men that he like pulled out texts and started reading with them. It's also, we, we can't necessarily say that these two men would have been literate at this time. There's, so there's, there, we almost, more importantly, we can't even think that the stranger showed them religious text at all, which is what we tend to think of when we hear Moses, the prophets and the scriptures, because we've all seen the Bible before and we can read. And so we, that's what we think of. We think, oh yeah, the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, that's what Moses and the prophets and the scriptures are. But to these two men, what happened to them was a reinterpretation, not just of a book that's important to them, it was the whole of their cultural identity. They had reinterpreted for them everything about who they are, where they come from, how they make sense of life. That's what it meant that Moses and the prophets and the scriptures were unfolded to them or reinterpreted for them. And so I wonder if you can imagine what sort of narrative or identity that would be for you if some stranger came to you and reinterpreted everything. I wonder if you can imagine what that'd be like. So I think of when uh, I remember learning for the first time from a really great American history teacher that Christopher Columbus was not a hero, despite the popular American narrative in schools at the time when I was a kid. This was this was like my first early lessons about white European Anglo privilege, that that all history is told from a perspective. Christopher Columbus is not a hero. I remember realizing that, like, why did anybody tell me? I was mad. I remember realizing, like, what is the actual story of this person that came from Europe and pillaged native peoples in the Americas? I remember learning and be like, why didn't why didn't they tell us this when we were kids? They think we couldn't handle it. But that just reinterpreted everything. I've never been the same. I read and listen critically now, always, because of that reinterpretation. Or I remember the first time that I had experiences of God, shortly after my mom died of cancer, and I was in high school, and, that pre and, and these experiences were suddenly this kid who has no idea how to make sense of life because the most important person to him has died, and I don't know how to grieve because people in their 40s and 50s don't know how to grieve, and I'm 15 years old, and I have this experience that I couldn't explain that brought me peace 
and that assured me that I was not crushed and life was not over. Life opened up with possibilities and hope and love and connection and purpose instead of being closed down and sad and cold and everything feeling like it was going to crush me because that's what was starting to happen to me. But suddenly my world was opened up because there is a God of love that wants to move me through this pain, that understands pain, and I'm not alone in that. That that changed everything for me. I moved out of the cold and like closed down world that is just like encompasses all of us where you just, you. I, I was supposed to finish high school so I could go to college, so I could get a job, so I could work hard, so I could retire, so I could die. It was like that closed down world wasn't feeding me but I suddenly found myself in a much bigger world where there is a God of love and purpose that holds me together in suffering and that has a plan that is beyond what I thought. And I wonder if you have had similar experiences where some, something out of the blue, a stranger maybe, reinterpreted the narratives and identities that pinned everything together for you and it stopped you in your tracks and it left you with your heart burning within you. I love that phrase in Luke. Even though that that is like by definition destabilizing, <laughs> might require you to change a lot of things to align with this new thing you've discovered. That is good. That is good when that happens. So one last pass through this story I read. J uh, Father Allison asks like, what do we have here? What happened here? We have two insiders who meet an outsider. And then suddenly the protagonism of the story flips. The main character is no longer the main character as it was before. They're now side characters. The outsider is the one in the know, even though they were thinking, oh, a foreigner, we better, we better explain this carefully so that the foreigner understands. Suddenly, who's the one in the, with the knowledge? It's the outsider. And the insiders are the ones having to catch up. And then, following this, the two men ask the stranger Jesus to stay with them where they're saying, we'll host you, stay with us. We've been so pleased to, to hear what you've said. And then, and then what happens after the two decide to host this stranger? The same thing happens again. They recognize him when he begins breaking bread, another flip of the rolls. The two begin as host, inviting Jesus as their guest. But by doing so, the protagonism flips again. The other becomes the host, serving them and they realize who is before them, they're just his guest. They're just the side characters. This story is his. And what's the background of the whole story? You know, how did we get into this mess? Outsiders, the women disciples, are those open enough to first have spiritual experiences with the risen Jesus. And it's the insiders, the men disciples, who God appears to second, who have to be brought along, even though they thought, Mm, we should probably go check this out because they're not reliable. The outsider brings God to the insider. Hmm. The outsider brings God to the insider, not the insider to the outsider. The outsider is the teacher of a new interpretation to the insider, not the insider to the outsider. We don't think this way, right? We don't we don't operate this way on default, right? It's the longtime employees who orient the new hires, right? It's the new neighbor who must find an in to like make friends with all the people who've lived there for many years, right? It's the new kid in class 
who tries their best to be adopted into like the cool group or the already established circle of friends. It's the person of color who must code switch to belong in dominant white structure. It's the women who have to prove themselves to be considered equal with men. We don't operate like this, do we? This is dry. This story that Jesus sets in action is a reorientation of how we think and operate. The outsider is the teacher of the insider. They're the one that bring the new interpretation. The outsider brings God to the insider, not the insider bringing God to the outsider. So where I want to leave this reflection for this morning is just to ask us, like, in what ways are you an insider? As we've talked about a lot in discussions uh, here as a church, we have, uh, we all have lots of layers of identity that make up who we are. We're a complex mix of insiders, outsiders, privileged, powerful people, and non-privileged, non-powerful people. For some people, it's more complicated than others. And so uh, what I want to ask you is to think about yourself. In what ways are you an insider? Maybe you're a man. Maybe you're white. Maybe you're middle class. Maybe you're able-bodied. You're cisgender. You're straight. Or maybe they have nothing to do with like your 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 born uh, characteristics. Maybe they are. Maybe you're a longtime member of a workplace. That's a way that you're an insider. Maybe you've lived in your neighborhood a long time. You know all the right people. You know like the people to call when something breaks. You know like you're a longtime member of your neighborhood. Maybe you're a longtime person in this church. That makes you an insider. So how is your life? This is what I want you to ask in the ways that you're an insider. How is your life organized to learn from outsiders versus teach outsiders? Hmm. What about your self-image would need to change to be more oriented towards someone else as the protagonist of the story and you as the supporting character? What about that would have to change? So you can organize your life around learning from outsiders rather than teaching outsiders. Okay, let's talk about the flip. In what ways are you an outsider? Maybe you're not male, you're a person of color, or you're differently abled, or you're LGBTQ, or you're not cisgendered, or those things that are just you know, about your circumstance here. Maybe you're a newcomer to your workplace. Maybe you're a newcomer to your neighborhood. Maybe you're a newcomer to this church. In those ways, you might feel like an outsider. So the question for you is, in what ways is Jesus encouraging you to do as he does in this story? Courageously reinterpreting the realities for those around you. Coming and saying, like, could you see it this way? That takes courage, right? Because you're an outsider. Jesus shows us what power can happen. Jesus shows us what power can happen when outsiders come together to do that. Because he did not leave the women out there you know, like claiming their story and then not back it up. Jesus came in and said, yep, I'm going to back up the women's story, not the men's story. And so you're not alone when you do that, but it does require courage. In what way are you being encouraged to do that? What about your self-image would need to change for you to be more oriented toward believing yourself to be the main character, the protagonist? You're not the supporting character. What would need to change about your self-image to believe that? And finally, as I think about this church, as I think about any church, think about church in general, but specifically Brownline Church. You know, any 
collection of people doing anything together, you start to develop insiders and outsiders. Try as we might to be immune to that. We can't be. We still have insiders and outsiders in our community, even though we want to be like that cool, perfect community that doesn't do it. And we want to like put nice value statements and, you know, like, no outsiders here. We're all, you know, it, it's just inevitable. It happens, right? So how can we be a community that recognizes that? That best we are able seeks to flip the protagonism so the side characters become main characters and the main characters become side characters, just like Jesus does in this story. How can we be a community that watches for that, catches it, anticipates it, and sees it to happen? How can we be a community that challenges insiders rather than rewards them and lifts up outsiders rather than condescends them? I wonder what that stirs up for you. I wonder what all of these things, all of these really cool observations that I had never seen before, before I read this version of, uh, of the story of the two men walking to Emmaus. And so with all of that kind of spinning around in our heads, I wonder if I can take a moment to slow down, not offer any more ideas, and just pray and see what, uh, I don't know, settles in for each of you before we turn to an announcement for this week. So let me pray for us and you can find whatever like chill, calm space works for you to feel slowed down and let all this, let all these ideas settle in you. You can close your eyes or open your eyes, whatever helps you to feel relaxed or comfortable. God, I believe we are shown what you are like in this story of Jesus. I believe there's lots here. There's lots here about ways that we instinctively think and operate and that being flipped on its side, that being turned around, that being us being encouraged to like act counterculturally to some degree here. That's not easy. But I just like, as I unpack this, and I think that's true for other people here, there's something there. There's something like, wow, that is, that's good stuff. That's like, that's inspiring. And so whatever it is that is standing out to us from this reflection, let that sink in. Let that settle in. Let that take root. I pray that it would begin to change the way that we operate in wonderful ways. That anything about it that is hard or requires courage or requires self-sacrifice, anything about those things, we would, we would realize how worth it it is. How worth it it is to like find ourselves caught up in the world that Jesus sets into motion in this story. That's a better world. That's a more open world. There's more love there. There's more, there's more purpose there. It's not so flat and exhausting. There's, there's something there. And I pray around like the, 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 how spiritual this story is. People are having experiences of, of angels confirming things to them. People are having like moments where the risen Jesus is walking among them. That, that, I mean, talk about a spiritual experience. You feel like you walk seven miles with somebody and then the moment you recognize what's really going on, they vanish from your sight. You know, there's something, 
there's something in this story that is like driving us toward the world is not just a boring, flat, materialistic reality. Like there, there is a God who wants to interact with us, who wants to pull us out of the everyday world that just, you know, is death by paper cuts. There's something there that is exciting and interesting and provocative. And I pray for us to have an experience that that world is the real world, that we are being called into that. And as this week progresses, I pray that we would continue to feel in such a space open to things being interrupted, open to shifts between the main character and the supporting characters, and that we would participate in that in the way that it's appropriate for us to. In the ways that we're insiders, we would flip the story so that the outsiders and the main character. And in the ways that we are outsiders, that we would be courageous enough to go for it and believe that we are not alone in doing that, that the God of the universe will confirm and back us up when we do so. In Jesus' name, amen.